not necessarily trying to beat up on Asia, but working with Asia, which is a positive sign. Okay, thanks very much, William. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author Thank you, sir. William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. And over in Japan at the moment, the Nikkei two two five is surging ahead. It's up one point two percent, being propelled by U.S. stock index futures that are up about zero point six percent on news that the transition to the Biden government is going to start. Over in South Korea, the Cosby's up half a percent. In uh, Australia, the Nikkei, uh, the ASX two hundred, up about one. Looks like the Hang Seng, though, is going to show more modest gains at the open of about 40 or 50 points. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at uh, $45.86 a barrel, slipping quite a lot now uh, in Asian trading from the New York close. Gold is also down as well, uh, $1,835 an ounce. And the US dollar is a little bit firmer in the currency markets. It's at 104.6 against the Japanese yen. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong is coming up next. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, sunny periods during the day. The maximum temperature is going to be around 26 degrees and the outlook mainly fine in the next couple of days. Slightly cooler in the morning and at night and becoming cool during the weekend. 23 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The government has added seven more dance clubs to its list of venues linked to a growing coronavirus outbreak, making it 21 in total. People who've been to 14 of those must get a COVID-19 test by today or face a fine, while those who visited the seven newly listed places have until Thursday. 50 of the 73 people confirmed with COVID-19 yesterday are linked to the cluster, which has grown to 132 patients. Dr Chuan Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection says it's still developing. I can't predict how this cluster may grow or expanding. This also depends on the behavior of the general public and the cases, whether uh, social distance measures they would adopt, whether they stop going out for a while so that to stop the transmission. It needs the cooperation of the people in Hong Kong because we don't know who is, has already been infected and may spread. Officials say there are eight untraceable cases and 70 preliminary positives. The Jockey Club says it's closing the two clubhouses at its Happy Valley racetrack after four people who'd visited in the past two weeks tested positive for COVID-19. The club says its old and new clubhouses will be closed from today until at least Thursday. The Australian airline Qantas says immunisation against the coronavirus will be mandatory in future for its international travellers. The head of Qantas, Alan Joyce, said the move would be a necessity once vaccines become widely available. Australia shut down its international borders early in the pandemic and required those returning to quarantine. A key U.S. government body, the General Services Administration, has written a letter to President-elect Joe Biden saying his transition as President-elect can formally begin. President Trump has tweeted his thanks to the General Services Administration chief and he appeared to give the go-ahead to proceed with the transition. Analysts say the statement means the Trump administration must now cooperate with the incoming Biden team. Here's the BBC's Nomir Iqbal. This is probably the closest it gets to Donald Trump conceding. It has been two weeks since Joe Biden was projected to be the winner of the US election. But the head of the General Services Administration, Emily Murphy, had refused to sign the document that would release millions of dollars in funding, office space and classified intelligence briefings to his team. While Mr Trump was still contesting the result... 
Tonight, in a series of tweets, Mr Trump praised Mrs Murphy, his appointee, for her loyalty. But he said he was now recommending that her team did what needed to be done with regard to initial protocols and that he told his officials to do the same. The GSA has also sent a letter acknowledging Mr Biden as the election winner. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. First today we're talking about children as victims in internet sex crimes. And after nine o'clock, latest on the US elections and Donald Trump's legal actions as Trump all but concedes. Teenagers and children as young as seven have fallen victim to sex-related cybercrime as they spend more time at home amid the pandemic in Hong Kong. The number of cases involving young people blackmailed by online strangers using nude photographs or videos has increased sharply in the last year. Many of the victims were males. And child pornography cases resulting from internet grooming are also on the rise. How can we and the authorities better protect young people online? Are the perpetrators getting to court. And after nine, Donald Trump has accepted that a formal transition can begin for the US presidential, uh, president-elect Joe Biden to take office. The president said he was recommending a key federal agency do what needs to be done, even as he vowed to continue contesting the result, claiming there was massive fraud and that, in fact, he won the election. So how successful have his efforts been so far? Is he a national embarrassment? And what will be his legacy? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message, of course, on our Facebook page. That's Batchat and RTHK Radio 3. And there's a couple of links there uh, from uh, one of our guests later uh, to do with the US uh, elections. Uh, you can always email us, batchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to do justice to your emails if they're relevant and reasonably polite. Or you can always call us, of course, and talk directly. And our number is 233-88266. Just a couple of emails uh, related to uh, current events. Uh, one from... Uh, Andrew K. Uh, this is in respect to the jailed activists. I think this is this is the this is the uh, three people uh, who were in uh, a, a prison remand or a prison detention uh, yesterday, having pleaded guilty. Andrew K. says, "Pleased to see these three hooligans in jail where they belong. I can't think of any positive contribution they've made to Hong Kong. So about time they quit their antics." That's from Andrew K. And uh, John says, following up on our discussion yesterday about uh, kindergartens, the closure of kindergartens, uh, Karen, who's an ESF parent who was a guest yesterday, is not an infectious disease expert, right? She's looking to offload her kids instead of putting public health first. Kindergarten is glorified babysitting service and closing reduces the risk of overloading doctors and hospitals at this critical time. That is from John in Sai Kong. Thank you very much indeed for that. Ada, you look like you're about to say something. No. No? Uh, well, 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 I think you know, schools are really um, uh, thinking of how to do blended learning these days. So I hope that you know, they can cope and also you know, teacher and student relationships can be kept during the pandemic. Well, one of the aspects of that, of course, uh, is that children are spending a lot more time online. Yes. And that's, that's uh, and one of the consequences of that is something we're going to be talking about, we hope, between now and uh, nine o'clock this morning. We're joined now by Michael Gaisley, Managing Director at Network Box Corporation Limited, and Mervyn Chung from the Education Policy Concern Group. Once again, we want to hear from you. Back chat at rthk.hk with your questions and comments. Uh, 
Mervyn, good morning to you. Maybe uh, we'll start morning. with you. Thanks for joining us once again. So, I mean, yeah, well, you know, children are, even very young children, are spending yeah. a lot more time online, quite often uh, unsupervised or with little supervision, it, it seems. Are, are you concerned about their safety? Yeah, uh, well, uh, not just uh, concerned about their safety, but also uh, getting quite alarmed at the... Um, at the crime statistics that recently released by by the police, because uh, we we find, um, uh, say cases of uh, sex toxin, uh, where victims aged uh, twelve to uh, sixty four uh, could have been ma- uh, blackmailed after the explicit online check uh, was recorded, and that's uh, uh, several fold, uh, several times of the uh, increase in this kind of crimes from. Uh, 171 over the home last year to just between t- uh, January and September this year already uh, 616, and uh, those who have been uh, offended, uh, th- that is the 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 the, um, the young girls, could could be as young as uh, uh, seven to ten. So the situation is re- is really alarming. It took about 600 in the year so far. That's like. Two a day, or oh, only only for the day. first three quarters. Mm. Not not including t- uh, figures in in say October and and, and November. Mm. That does include uh, adults as well. I think as as children. Yeah, uh, but uh, on 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 the child side, it, it could be you know uh, twelve years in, in in age. So it's really terrible. Mm. And I think uh, as you have just uh, you know mentioned during the uh, the period of. Uh, a coronavirus pandemic, uh, with a suspension of uh, in-person classes, children stay at home mostly, and uh, just doing their study online, and then, to, and they have also seldom joined extracurricular activities in these days. So uh, the only thing that appears to be um, enjoying them is to increase their their cyber use. Uh, all kinds of games and also uh, uh, friendship making with uh, with people uh, who who are actually strangers to them, and this is uh, this can be dangerous. Um, Mervyn, yes, this is um, you, you know I you know you've been an educator yeah. <laughs> most of your life. Uh, we we always talk about Hong Kong schools focusing too much on academics. And during class suspension, during you know the um, uh, the uh, online teaching and learning, I think almost all teachers will focus on the academics, and um, they they really don't have the time nor the bandwidth uh, to talk to students to understand you know whether they have problems, whether they're lonely, uh, what kind of help could um, teachers give them, and also you know for social workers, they probably don't really have access to students. So we are talking about nine months already, and we see these alarming figures. Um, is it about time for you know teachers in Hong Kong to think more than teaching you know young people subjects, but you know more holistic learning and teaching? Yes, I agree with what you have just uh, said. Um, for our uh, normal uh, uh, lesson classes in school. It's, it's more or less exclusively focused in uh, in academic stuff, especially um, things that lead eventually to the uh, participation in public examinations, uh, TSA, DSE, and all these things. So uh, it seems that uh, little regard has been given to uh, the kind of proper behavior and uh, 
and 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 a kind of also beneficial, you know, fancy making on 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 the part of the students. Um, now, I think um, for all schools, normally they start with uh, some kind of assembly time. Uh, maybe uh, more of this kind of um, uh, talks or advising can be given at the beginning of of the school day uh, every day. And uh, at the same time, I think um, instead of releasing only figures um, during uh, during the operations by the law enforcement agents, su- such as uh, uh, the, the police force, they could conduct more activities, more of this kind of presentations, uh, teaching uh, youngsters how to behave themselves and how to become careful and cautious in their day-to-day uh Activities, especially those involving people they don't know, and especially in uh, uh, you know through online platforms, and uh, in this re- respect, uh, I hope RTHA and uh, the police force can we consider reintroducing the uh, the previously uh, regular program of police report. I've been following that uh, program for decades, and I find it very useful. And the same response uh, uh, has also been made by many, uh, many, many of the teachers. So I hope they can seriously... Well, I think we've all watched that as middle-aged people, but we're talking about seven-year-olds here, and um, there's this uh, horrible case uh, where a 15-year-old girl, you know, had her nude photos taken at a hotel by a man she met online. Um, you know, if these are our targets, um, it's not just enough for one report. I, I think there needs to be... Uh, a lot of closer relationships, uh, you know, that this young lady could, could reach out to, you know, if she has a problem, in, if she feels really emotionally disturbed, instead of, uh, you know, choosing an online platform to share her stories uh, with people who are strangers. Yeah, I, I, I both agree and, uh, and disagree with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, not too many um, uh, young, young, uh, young students watch this program, but uh, I think the, uh, the audience and also the watchers of this program are, are, are rather diverse. Um, we need to educate the parents because we need to get the parents know about the operation of online platform and what they should notice in, uh, in getting close to the, to, to the children. Now, uh, for instance, in using uh, computers, I think parents to take care not to let the children do it inside their, uh, their, their own rooms. For instance, computers or other online uh, devices can be installed in the, in, in the living room. And then they can also use some kind of uh, devices which can wet the materials going through their, their software and uh, going through the computers. And you know, uh, this kind of tips can, can be given to uh, the children's parents, the students' parents, through uh, the program which I, which I just mentioned, police report. So, um, and at the same time, uh, in that program, of course, uh, we are not talking particularly about the program, but that is used as an example. Uh, we often see um, social workers or experts uh, from social welfare department explaining ch- uh, child behavior and what parents should notice and all these things, which together. Uh, can be, you know, uh, can can make some kind of uh, you know positive impact on uh, on on parenthood. 
Okay. When it, when it comes to police report, I think I'm, I think I'm right in saying that the police decided to stop doing it. By the way, not not RTHK, and they decided to start doing it online. So yeah, in that yeah, case, anyway. I hope to, uh, the commissioner of uh, police uh, can seriously uh, consider the, uh, uh, my my proposal, which which is also shared by many teachers. I think, that, yeah, certainly the uh, open doors is an interesting idea and valuable. Uh, and, and when it comes to the dynamic, um, according to the press reports, um, m- many of these cases were, were, yeah, involved young people. But according to the press reports, 95% of them were, were young men. Mm. Um, so um, just bear that in mind, you know, when we're, we're thinking of, of, of what, was, what was going on. Michael Gaisley, Managing Director at Network Box uh, Corporation Limited. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you for good joining morning. us once again. Um, you know, we, 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 we talk a lot about sort of kind of the internet security and safety when it comes to, to uh, adults. Um, what, what, you know, what, what about for the young children now that they are spending a lot more time uh, online during the day and so on, often as we say, uh, supervised, uh, unsupervised or lightly supervised? Uh, how do you approach those sort of security problems? Well, I think that, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about social engineering on a scale that just the world has never seen before. And it is frightening how almost every platform, um, every game now has the ability to, to chat, to video, and to, to have people build relationships. And the scary thing is you have no idea really you know, who you're building or who your child is building that relationship with. Um, I, it wasn't too long ago I was at a friend's house and um, their, their child of 10, you know, was playing a game and, and, and suddenly for once without the headphones on actually sort of had it on a, on a speakerphone and um, you, you could suddenly hear a, a guy that was obviously, you know, 16, 18, whatever, talking to this 10-year-old and the 10-year-old was very impressed at, at, at this person's ability to play the game and, and, you know, to beat the monster or whatever it was. And um, while they were chatting, and you could hear it, you know, the, 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 the 10-year-old was starting to tell uh, tell this much older boy about their household and uh, where they lived and, you know, what, what they did and everything about themselves. And and in that case, uh, you know, I, I was there and helped to sort of stop that interaction and try and explain that, you know, it's very dangerous and you shouldn't give give away so much personal information to someone you absolutely have no idea. And... Um, you know, this this child said, oh, you know, well, you know, I, I know him. It was like, no, you don't. Um, this could be anybody, and they could even, you know, have their voice disguised. I mean, it might sound like a 16-year-old, which is bad enough for a 10-year-old, but maybe it's a 40-year-old. You know, you've got no idea. So the, the technology and the social engineering and the human interaction, um, I, I think there probably should be classes now in school to uh, teach uh, kids, you know, that, that there's just so much danger out there. Um, it, it really is a dangerous world. Hmm. I mean, there are, I think quite often games have sort of chat functions, or don't they? Which you can yes, they do, you yeah. can disable. I think I'm right in saying. But then, but then, but then, many games also are, are collaborative, aren't they? And yeah, so exactly. You, you do need to communicate with the other people to play the yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, uh, the you know the platform, the interaction and the discussion and the ability to sort of talk to people in real time who are in your team. Um, that that's part of the game, um, but of course it can be leveraged by somebody who has a completely different purpose, and that that's a matter of education. I think people have to 
grow up now, um, you know, knowing the, the sort of dangers out there and the pitfalls. Um, so in, in, in a semi-lockdown situation like what we have faced in the last nine months, uh, are, are there any good tools and softwares available to parents uh, for this kind of education? Do you know? Well, I, I really think that um, the lockdown is obviously part of it, but this problem is never going to go away. Um, you know, kids gaming, um, that's always going to be with us, COVID or no COVID. And really, if, if part of every gaming platform is the ability to meet people you don't know on the Internet, then uh, it, it really comes down to education. Is there no sort of technical solution to that? Nothing that you can do uh, in terms of software? Or filters I think on? to a certain degree there might be, but mostly I, I think it has to be uh, the ability for people to be careful themselves, to think about it uh, themselves. And it's not just children. I mean, there are plenty of adults who get taken in by con men and, and you know, there are plenty of people who get uh, into these sort of naked photo problems and whatever who are, who are well beyond their childhood years. Um, it, it really is a matter of education for everybody, I think. Mm. How, how do you do that? How do you make people more sceptical about uh, you know, who they're talking to online? Michael Gaisley, uh, any thoughts? I mean, that, I think that's a... <laughs> I think that really is a discussion for psychologists... Uh, you know, who, who study this, this kind of thing, because when, when I talk to people um, in companies, I mean, at Network Box, you know, we, we, we deal with companies uh, more than individuals. Uh, but, you know, when we are talking to people uh, in, in companies who've had social engineering issues and, and their companies have uh, been compromised and so on because of such, such issues, um, there is a, a almost ridiculous uh, uh, sort of human trait of if it, you know, if the computer tells you this, you just believe it. And if somebody's on the computer and they tell you something, you believe them. Um, I don't quite know why that is. I think when we meet people in, in real life, generally, we're more skeptical. But um, perhaps it's we're relaxed at home and, and we're in our room and we feel safe. And that feeling of safety somehow attaches to this person you don't know. And, and, and you know, you just think, well, OK, they're OK. Um, I feel safe in my room and I trust this person and you really shouldn't. And I guess when you meet someone face to face there are all kinds of other cues that you are used to reading I guess, the way yeah, they look yeah. and the way they manner and the way they behave. And yeah, body language, yeah. Mm, which you don't get on the internet and so... But also yeah. you have the reality of it all, I mean if, if a child of 15, mm. you know, if a Fifteen-year-old girl is approached by a forty-five-year-old man. Um, that whole dynamic uh, is going to be pretty clear. But if a fifteen-year-old girl thinks it's a fifteen-year-old boy, by the time she's meeting the fifteen-year-old in real life, um, maybe you know she's shocked that, that, that the guy's forty-five. But um, by that time, quote unquote, they're friends. You know, they know each other. And of course, the, you know, obviously, she doesn't. Mm. Uh, an email from uh, Andrew Kay. Um, uh, Ada, you were talking about the need for a sort of a, a holistic approach to to uh, education. Uh, Andrew Kay says, it's not the job of teachers to look after a student's emotional well-being. It's the parents. 
no one is compelled to have a child. Condoms are cheap, so it's down to the to the parents rather than the teachers. Well, you know, I, I guess that's a, a very traditional kind of thinking about schooling and about education. If that's the case, then we don't need two social workers uh, per secondary school, which um, you know the Kerry Lam government has actually increased the budget for. Uh, I, I think you know. Uh, I I have talked to many, many secondary school teachers. I think social and emotional learning is part of learning. They are teenagers. Um, they they need to be coached, um, not not taught, and you know, uh, and and they need to understand. Um, you know, there's one thing to meet a friend online, and you know, it's another thing that you go and meet them in a the hotel room. Uh, I, I think you know this sort of um, uh, understanding of risk uh, is very important in in the cyber age, and um, I know that internet sex crimes will be here. Um, I mean, there will be I mean face to face sex crimes as well, but but I think you know for the next generation, um, they they are digital natives and they do have to understand uh, you know the risk involved in um, in in navigating this uh, digital world that you know is, is a parallel life for them so so I think the the schools the schools should have a responsibility i 'm not saying that parents should not, but I think you know it 's um all everybody the stakeholders you know who who really want a healthier you know next generation should have that responsibility mm. Mervyn parents or teachers uh, both both uh, but of course, um, we we need to take care of the um, the realities of, of life in schools, uh, because um, teachers already have uh, you know hard hard nuts to crack uh, by having to go through um, effectively a heavy curriculum for every subject, and then to, uh, after school there are some kind of uh, remedial or compensating classes and all these things. So the time that that could be left to Teachers for counseling their students uh, is 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 basically very limited. So, and of course, uh, this is a question of policy. Uh, I have always been um, for the reduction in the number of teaching periods per week for teachers, say cut by two periods. Now that we have a uh, uh, far fewer students than previously, and then. Um, with schools, so uh, most mostly running on a smaller scale, so uh, perhaps the kind of uh, responsibilities and also um, teaching and and uh, uh, administrative arrangements in school can uh, can be reshuffled, uh, giving more leeway for teachers to take care of the, of the students outside the classes, and um, for parents. Um, I think uh, the most important thing is that uh, they should get uh, their children, trust them, and willing to share their daily lives, and also their even their negative experiences with them, so that uh, their parents can can be in a position to offer advice, guidance, and as Ada said, uh, some kind of coaching to them. Mm. Okay, Jay in an email says there is obviously something wrong with the moral education at school from the start, kindergartens and primary schools. And as for this year, because the schools want to go online, they've got lazy, so books won't be used, and options are going to make a killing on glasses. And finally, I blame the Education Bureau for not making child psychologists easily available free to parents for quick parental questions. Uh, would more child psychologists help? 
I think I think def- a definite yes. Uh, I think child psychologists are now very busy. Uh, in our school, uh, for example, we have a child psychologist coming every week because there are special cases for her to handle, but it's certainly not enough. So if you are thinking of a good major to take, take child psychology and, and be an education psychologist. And, and someone trusted as well, someone that they can talk to is very important, isn't it? Because I think in a lot of these cases, uh, there's uh, um, they're being, the children are being exploited so that they can, not for money or something, but mm. so they can take more photographs or something like that. So there's a, they're embarrassed and yeah. the only way they can get I, out I of it I think there's is, a, you know, uh, that there should be a good stra- strategy for, uh, for younger kids. I'm, I'm shocked by these figures because the kids are as young as 7 to 10 year olds. So, so I think primary schools should be well aware, but perhaps they are not because they think that this is a problem for teenagers only. And, and I think that there should be uh, teachers' education on that and uh, more seminars and more discussions on this topic. But, it, but embarrassing for seven-year-olds to talk about, even. Well, um, there, you know, there, there are lots of ways. Uh, for, for example, I know uh, one primary school principal, he does this, uh, there's no assembly face-to-face, uh, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the past few months. And so he, he, did, a, he did a check-in, you know, they, they have... It called like 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 uh, you know having like a circle of listening, and um, so they develop the trust. Uh, they pick a certain emoji to represent how they feel, and um, so very softly they uh, it's in a small group, mm. you know, uh, like a circle meeting. Mm. And there they are a lot of these tools available uh, for parents and also for teachers to learn. Okay, well, uh, Michael Gaisley, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and Mervyn Chung, thank you very much indeed from the Education Policy okay. Concern Group. Uh, Mr. Gaisley is managing director at Network Box Corporation uh, Limited. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, U.S. Uh, elections with uh, Donald Trump all but conceding uh, just in the last hour or so. The weather forecast: mainly cloudy today, sunny periods, and 23 degrees at the moment. Humidity is at 78 percent. Mr. Biden led in Michigan with over 150,000 more votes than Mr. Trump. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, we were talking in the first part of the program uh, before nine uh, about uh, cases of uh, uh, internet sex crimes involving uh, young people with that uh, uh, worrying uh, trend, that uh, worrying increase in the numbers as young people spend more time uh, online. Andrew Kay uh, in an email says, I'm sure all teachers are great people, but I for one think my child should be schooled in my values. That's from uh, Andrew Kay. As ever, if you want to uh, contribute, we want to hear from you. Bankchat at rthk.hk is our email address. You can just call us on 233 or you can go to our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 and uh, comment there. Between now and 9.30, we wanted to catch up on the uh, American elections. We've touched on them um, since we had had our uh, live election uh, coverage, but it seems that... uh, uh, at long last, uh, Donald Trump has accepted that uh, a formal transition uh, can begin for Joe Biden uh, to take office. Uh, the uh, GSA, the General Services Administration, uh, said it was acknowledging Mr. Biden as the apparent winner. Uh, and uh, President Trump has said that he's recommending that the agency do what needs to be done. But he does vow to continue contesting the result. He has said uh, repeatedly that he won 
the election uh, and that there has been massive uh, national fraud. Uh, uh, and uh, also, of course, um, uh, there are still uh, pending legal cases. Uh, so uh, what do you make of uh, what's going on? Uh, does this amount to a uh, concession? Uh, is he a national embarrassment? What will be the legacy of Donald Trump? We have with us now uh, Dan Van Hoy, who's a member of Republicans uh, Abroad Hong Kong, uh, and also Andrew Blasey, who's a director with Kroll, and Boring International, a leading global government affairs, public policy and public relations firms where he advises business executives across Asia as they engage with the US government. Uh, Mr Blasey, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Is this is this all but a concession? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's a pleasure to be back on the program. I think I think that we can call it a wrap at this point in terms of what to expect uh, as we proceed, um, you know, in, in the days ahead. You know, I think this, as you may have been already reporting, this follows a big decision overnight, Hong Kong time in Michigan, where the lack of an inability or shall we say the inability to present, prevent a certification um, of the results there um, really has sort of put an end to this, um, you know, view that, that somehow the election may be overturned despite uh, the evidence mounting um, because of the president not being able to um, make much headway in terms of the number of lawsuits that have been filed across various states uh, across the country. So, you know, I think as we look ahead right now in terms of U.S. politics, uh, the big focus is turning um, to the 5th of January, where there will be a major election in the state of Georgia. And I think a lot of political calculus has been going into this on the part of the president in terms of his political standing and his political future, and of course that of the Republican and the Democratic parties themselves, right, as they posture and prepare for the 5th of January. Why does that matter? What rests on what happens in Georgia on the 5th of January? So the 5th of January is absolutely key. Um, that's where we will there will be a determination as to which political party controls the United States Senate. Um, there was, uh, of course, a number of contested Senate races that were up uh, in the uh, early November election in the, in the United States. But in the state of Georgia, which uniquely had both of its Senate seats up uh, for, for uh, open for, for contestation, um, both of those candidates did not cross that state's 50% voter threshold, which means that in the U.S. they proceed to a runoff race on the 5th of January, which importantly will take place before President-elect Biden is seated uh, into the office. The inauguration is the 20th of January. So this is quite key because we're currently sitting right now at 48 Democratic senators and 50 Republican senators. And, of course, presuming that President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris um, take office on the 20th of January, if both of those seats in Georgia flip to the Democratic column with the president, or rather with the vice president, uh, making the determination as to who controls the Senate chamber, the Democrats will take control of the United States Senate. Um, of course, uh, that is viewed as the less likely scenario here. The more likely scenario is that the Republicans will take one or both of these Senate seats, leaving them with the Republican majority. So that plays uh, the politics plays a lot here because with this, um, you know, per perceived or real inability of the president to concede, many people, including some top Republican senators, were viewing that as a potential detriment to their ability to hold on to one or both of these Senate seats in Georgia. 
Right, but Ms. Uh, President Trump uh, has vowed to continue the legal challenges that he is still fighting, uh, you know, to overturn the election outcome. So which state could he still have a possibility for a recount? Uh, because Michigan, as you said, has certified its results uh, right now. Uh, Georgia, uh, we are waiting for, for, the, for, for that Senate the, election. The third, well, also there's a third recount on the presidential election, I think, at the moment. Yeah, so, um, so which state would, would he still, you know, uh, can, can fight, uh, you know, uh, to continue his legal challenges? I mean, in theory, the president still has options, and I put quotes around options in, in many of these states, right? But, you know, in terms of what plausibly can move forward, it's very, very difficult, I think, for us to see any of these states making significant headway in terms of the lawsuits. And that begs the question, um, is some of these actions, uh, you know, to pursue challenges in the court, uh, whether real or, or more political posturing, aiming at sort of further solidifying in the base of Republican voters' minds that the election was somehow fraudulent um, or, or whatnot. And I think that that's a, that's a real calculated um, risk. I think most folks have seen or, or some folks have seen the poll, poll numbers coming out of Republican voters in the United States, of which an overwhelming majority now believe that the election result was fraudulent in, in some nature. So I think whether or not the actual lawsuits are able to make headway or not, it's more about politics at this point, in my personal view. If if that evidence, you know, which has been promised, the the Kraken is not uh, is not apparent, um, will will that change people's minds? Will that change Republican votes? We've got one, and we'll talk to in a moment. But uh, in general, will will that change people's minds? Will they just will they start to see uh, Trump simply as a bad loser? Remains to be seen. Mm. I think there's been some reporting that, you know, once things start to settle down, and I think we've just seen the developments overnight about the transition process now making headway, do a large percentage of Repo Republican voters actually believe that, that President-elect Biden, you know, had, you know, rightfully succeeded in, in becoming president? I think, I think you know, the, the truth is yet to be determined, but I think, you know, one could say that that should be expected, right, if we look at history in terms of previously contested U.S. presidential elections. You know, the electorate generally tended to sort of, you know, sit, sit back in and, and start to accept what happens next. But it's an extremely divided, divisive time uh, in U.S. politics and among U.S. voters. So we're sort of in some ways forging new territory here. And I think for anybody who thinks that somehow President Trump is going to sort of go quietly into the night, I think they'd be sorely mistaken. Right. Uh, Dan Van Hoy, good morning to you uh, from Republicans Abroad uh, Hong Kong. Thanks for, for, for joining us once again. Uh, you were with us, of course, during the election, as a, the election coverage, as we were talking about the results uh, as they came in at first. Um, do you agree with um, President Trump now that he won? First of all, Hugh, it's Republicans overseas. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. I beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah. and uh, thank you. That's actually the international group at the moment. And uh, local businessmen, of course. Hello, Andrew. enjoyed listening to you on the 10th and also during the ele election coverage. Great job. Um, uh, thank you, sir. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, Hugh, I like Hong Kong elections a lot better. They're a lot more organized and certain, and there's no issue about ID I have to present my Hong Kong ID when I walk in to vote out at the Lam Chun Wishing Tree is where I vote. And uh, it's all set up. It's very organized. It's very straight. Uh, the U.S. could learn something from Hong Kong in terms of how to conduct elections. Um, 
I think Trump is going to press on. I think he has to. 74 million people voted for him. He's battled the last four years against a diabolical Democrat party that has tried to take him down at every turn in every way that they could. Who won, do you think? Who won? Who won? What yeah. do you mean? Who won the election? We don't know yet. We don't know. Because the, ultimately the courts will decide that. And I think the Trump campaign is hanging in there in the hopes that they can somehow get a case before the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court can say yes in this particular state if there's a path, right? There has to be a path. I mean, they're not stupid over there. If there isn't a path to, to winning, then they're just gonna, they're gonna give up. I mean, Trump's gonna give up. But if there's a path where they can get, finally get, you know, they haven't been in front of a court yet with discovery. Through all this process so far, the cases have been dismissed, but no discovery has been put on the table because of the judges involved, most of them Democrats, dismissing the cases. So if they could just get to a court which would say, okay, let's go ahead, then the discovery is put on the table and see where it goes from there. When will we, when will we know then? When will we know? Yeah, when will we know who won? Um, by the 14th of December. Okay, that's when, when the uh, election committee, when it... That's when the states meet. College. Okay, the electrical... This, the electrical. Uh, I'm an electrical guy. Uh, the, the electoral college meets yeah. in each state, right? That'll and be the last word. That's the last word. Actually, it's December 8th, if I'm not mistaken. It's all of the things are supposed to be resolved by December 8th, supposedly. But in the Bush v. Gore, it was December 13th before it was finally resolved by the Supreme Court. Where is the evidence? Where is this evidence? Oh, man. You see this? I wish the, the, the listeners could see this. You have this. a lot of paper in front of you. Spread in front of the whole table here. Piles of a dozen compelling allegations of voting irregularities in the 2020 elections. State by Sorry, state. allegations of voting irregularities. Yes, yes, yes. So there's uh, affidavits? Or, uh, yes, or and there have been about? hundreds of sworn affidavits. But the, 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 the thing and, that... And, uh, what, more than six million? Okay. But, but Dan, for, for these cases, we have to go to the state um, Supreme Court first, right? So the state yes. Supreme Court will have to rule whether, uh, you know, there's a case. Uh, and in Pennsylvania, I read that um, on Monday they rejected Trump's effort to block the counting of certain absentee ballots. Uh, and, you know, uh, yes, the legal challenges are really not going anywhere. Uh, well, it's because in that case it was a, it was a, uh, uh, a, a federal judge appointed by uh, Toomey, Senator Toomey, and who, the guy who's is, a hardcore Republican. Yes, but a federalist. He's, 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 he's he very was, much a, a Bush, a, <laughs> an anti-Trumper. He's a he's a never Trumper basically. So um, again, there was no chance for discovery. There was no chance to... All that was put forward is affidavits. Let me read what the Federal Election well, Commission... Okay, that's, there's, there's an appeal there. There's an appeal there. But yeah. uh, he was, he's a Republican judge. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, matter what the, whether it's R or D. You can still be anti-Trump, right? We, know, <laughs> we can list all the R's who are anti-Trump. We call them never-Trumpers. So what, 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 what does, I want to know mm. is that, I mean, there are a number of states that maybe Trump has a chance, uh, and then you have to go through the state um, you know, judicial system first before you go to the federal. Is that correct? Yes, in most cases that's correct. Um, but there's a mountain of evidence. In fact, as you mentioned, Hugh, at the, at the top, I've posted on the Backchat Facebook page uh, videos and audio of Linwood and uh, 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 Sidney Powell. Powell talking about their case that they want to lay out if they can just get to the point of well, Why don't they lay it out? They have. It's there on the videos. It's there. And that they, was they the case. They have a lot of evidence. That was the case. Well, you, you don't... I, I thought they said they were going to 
produce this well, evidence? Of course they're not going to give everything until they get to the court. Why not? I mean, the, because we don't try these things in the media, Hugh. The place for them is the court. It's not the media that decides an election. Ultimately, it's the people, and maybe in this case, it will be the courts that decide. And I think the Trump camp is hoping, uh, maybe against hope, that eventually this will get to the Supreme Court and there'll be a decision in their favor. That's why they're hanging on. Of, of course, Sydney Powell is not in the I, Trump camp. No, she, well, she's, she's pro-Trump, but she's not in the legal team, on the legal team. Of course, she's, in, she's, I mean, she's introduced and captioned and she uh, was at press conferences and was described right. previously yeah. as being in the Trump camp and now suddenly she isn't. Yeah, yeah, she's she not, in, but she's doing her own thing. Go watch the video. It's quite twenty minutes. Quite interesting. I, I watched ten minutes of it. Yeah, okay, I, I did watch some. I did watch some of it. If, Andrew Blazer, yeah. Yeah. If we're if we're being practical, I think it's it's for for as for as much as as, as you know, I, I can certainly understand the sentiments around the, the sheer enormous number of voters that that the president did receive in this election, and I think you know all due prophecies are certainly warranted for any any you know anybody running for president, including the sitting president of the United States. It's very difficult for, for me personally to imagine at this point that there will be another scenario that unfolds other than President-elect Joe Biden, you know, t taking office on, on the 20th of January. And, and, and I do think it's very, very important to recognize that the biggest current underpinning everything right now is the political environment that emerges post-20th of January. That is, that is the overwhelming uh, you know, force at work, at play in the U.S. political ethosphere right now. Um, of course, it also has to do with the 5th of January and both parties vying to, especially the Republican Party, vying to maintain control um, of the Senate to, to uh, instigate a divided government as opposed to a unified democratic government. Um, but I think it's really important to remember what do minds turn to on January 21st across Washington? They turn to 2022, right? Everybody starts thinking about the next election the day after the, the government takes seat. So I just think it's, it's very important for, for listeners in Hong Kong to keep that in mind, that a lot of what they are seeing right now in the United States is, is politics um, at play, especially with such a divided electorate. And, and quite honestly, President Trump faring a lot better than many uh, folks thought he would fare in, in the election, right? So it just goes to show that the American public is divided uh, and that President-elect Biden will certainly have his work cut out for him um, when he takes office on the 20th of, Jan of January. Okay, here's uh, an email from John, uh, who says, Over the weekend, the Pennsylvania court forcefully rejected a suit in which Republican groups sought to have the ballots of every American voter in Hong Kong, who happens to vote in certain target counties, thrown out. Could the Republicans' overseas rep explain why his party is trying to prevent people in your audience from having their votes counted? How can they pretend to support a system of electoral democracy? The diabolical Democrat Party, your guest's propaganda term, has been defending the rights of people of voters in Hong Kong. Democrats abroad filed a brief with the court maintaining that their votes should be counted, and the court agreed. That comes from John. The situation in Pennsylvania is very problematic, and it's a constitutional issue. The Constitution of the United States, in Article 2, says very clearly, the state legislatures in each state shall decide what the rules are for federal elections. What happened in Pennsylvania is that the governor, the secretary of state, and the courts all said, no, 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 we're going to change the rules, essentially at the last minute. So they would accept ballots without a signature. Never happened in Hong Kong. 
they would let some people uh, also not have a postmark. You didn't have to have a postmark that your ballot was mailed in time. That's okay. We'll accept those ballots. And so it, it's an issue of the Constitution as well as the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, which says, in the case of Pennsylvania, the Democrats allowed some Democrat counties, they contacted people and said, okay, we see an error in your ballot. Would you please come and fix it? But it wasn't done in Republican-dominated counties. So the violation of the Equal Protection Law is very clear there in so, Pennsylvania. So, I mean, let's get let's clear. Trump's... Uh, uh, has lost every case uh, in the courts uh, so far. That's right. There's yeah. been no merit sure. given to any of them. And no, no, say, no, no. They didn't get to the merits because there's no discovery. Yeah, because they weren't even worth they, considering. They didn't, they didn't give a chance for, for evidence to be presented in mm -hmm. any of the cases. Judges said, go away. Uh, and you're saying that's because they were Democratic judges? In ma many cases, as Democrat. Even in Pennsylvania, even, even, so, even if they're Republicans, the latest, they're the wrong kind of Republicans. The latest federal judge definitely Dan, this is them. embarrassing. This is How is it embarrassing here? You're a bad loser, and Trump is a terrible loser, but he's a loser. Well, define terrible, Hugh. What's terrible? How, how would you expect him? Would you expect Trump to walk away peacefully the day after election and say, okay, Joe, it's all yours? Well, why not? If that's how elections work, that's how the democratic system Hugh, works. We've if been talking about Trump for how many years now? So, um, Dan, Would you really expect him to do that? Do, Just do, walk do away without a fight? He won't concede? So when will he concede? Who knows? I think he'll eventually concede. I think when, when it's presented to him, Mr. President, there's simply no path to resolve. Will he concede before the 20th of January? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he will. So what can he still do in, in the month of December, in the next month? Well, would he still go for Pennsylvania? Could, could no, he no, still no. take think, another lawsuit? No, I think eventually. It's appeal, I think. He has appeal. Yeah, I, or I, Wisconsin, I, Arizona, Michigan. You know, he has no chance now. Well, Michigan was another issue where the, legis the legislature said to the, the committee that's deciding, making the decision, we, we want you to wait because we want to check this out. And when, as soon as the legislature announced this, then the committee said, okay, it's done. We've, we've, we've uh, settled it. And so there's another problem there in Michigan as well. There's a lot of voter fraud in the U.S., uh, all around the country, and it has to be resolved. Another reason is not just for Trump. Trump needs to pursue this with all his might so that we can fix the problems in our election system. I'm sorry, but democracy in America is failing. It's called the American experiment. The experiment is failing. It is failing. We've seen it in the last four to 12 years, and it will continue failing if we don't resolve this critical issue of connect, conducting free and fair elections where every person's legal vote counts. Full stop. It's, it's failing because uh, of the fraud? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's failing because of the fraud? Fraud and the flaws. There's flaws in the system. When in the, the Democrats went in and passed laws before the election to make it for, for people to flood in uh, absentee ballots, for example, and not show up to vote. I always love to vote in person. I do it here in Hong Kong. When I'm home in the States, I love to walk in and cast my vote in person. I wish everyone would do that. I think we need to limit, start limiting because the Democrats know that they can get more votes by mail. So that's why they pushed no, it in No, but with the states. pandemic, isn't it natural I, for people not uh, to go not to the really polling stations? Come on, we can social distance. You know, in the for, polls. I, I do think it is important. I do think it is important for, for listeners in Hong Kong to recognize something, though. Understanding the, the, the concerns that, that both political parties have is that you know the world is confront is in such an abnormal time right now with the pandemic. I think you know it, it is it is easy to point to the divisiveness you know that we see in the United States today and talk about the the the, the, the short 
shortcomings of a strife around democracy, but I personally do take a slightly different view on that. I think that, that it, it is quite astounding to see the enormous record turnout, record election that was held here in the United States. But and Andrew, so but Andrew, Americans... Andrew, why was there a record turnout? It was because of one man named Donald John Trump. That was the reason, po- positive a, or negative. I, I think, well, I think... Did, did, they didn't come out for Joe Biden. They didn't come out for Joe Biden. Can you imagine, or let's, the, let's say we had a president, uh, uh, I start to say Tom Cruise, um, <laughs> the other Cruise, the Senator Cruise, that had, had won instead of Trump, and then it's Cruise against Biden. We would have not had anything close to the turnout that we had. We had a huge turnout because of Donald John Trump. Like it or, or hate it, that's the truth. I, I, have, I, I am a, a particularly impressed at how relatively well the United States fared in this election amidst a pandemic where people don't congregate in person, right? Where states, both Republican and Democrat, did a lot of what they could to allow voters to vote by mail, right? And I think that, that through this process, there's a, for, for all of the negative things that we could hone in on, there's a lot of positivity that happened in this election. It was a record turnout for both political parties in this election. And I think that we are going, you know, just in case folks are wondering in Hong Kong, how is this going to turn out? How is it going to, you know, I think there will be, there's a big difference between a concession and the relevance of a concession versus a peaceful transition of power. The United States will have a peaceful transition of power in January. And I think that it's very, very important um, for Republicans in leadership to, to remember something. It's important that, that we advocate for due process and to remove voting irregularities and fraud wherever they are proven to exist. I don't think there's any disputing in that. Amen. But we also Amen. need to be careful. Yeah. We also need to be careful, though, not to put off a perception in any way of disenfranchising voters that, that opt to go out and turn out to the polls, especially in urban areas, right? I think this is very important for the Republican Party itself to keep in mind as we look to the future. You know, for all the success stories, right, uh, that, that I think Donald Trump can point to as a sitting president in this election, let's not forget that Texas is now a much closer swing state than Ohio and Iowa are, right? So for all of the, the successes that we can tout for Donald Trump, there's, there, there's a lot of things that the Republican Party needs to make sure it's doing, in my personal opinion, to prepare for the future. And I think we ought to be just a little bit careful at um, any kind of perception of the shortcomings of democracy aimed at especially urban, urban voters and, and turnout. So just something for us to remember for the future. But I think all of this focus on will the president concede, will he not concede, I totally agree. If there is no path, I think he will concede. But that ultimately is irrelevant, I think, to the political fabric that ensues when there is a peaceful transition of power and folks start focusing on the 5th of January for those two important Georgia Senate seats. Yeah, that's huge. Georgia's huge. I'm going to say from Hong Kong, one thing that is troubling in what you were saying, Dan, is is, uh, this question of the judges, this question of the politicization of the judges. This has got to go to the Supreme Court because, because... because uh, Trump um, managed to appoint the right people to the Supreme Court well, and the distrust of certain kinds of Republicans. It's just that every judge has to be, uh, you know, uh, rated according to who they were appointed by and everything like that. 
that that doesn't sound like rule of law. That sounds like I agree. exactly the, the problem that we are facing in Hong Kong. Yeah, you remember my first appearance in June. One of the themes that I harped on was lawlessness. And I see lawlessness everywhere in the U.S. I see it in the judiciary. I see it in the political system. I see it in government. I see it in people on the street destroying things, destroying property, hurting people. We saw it here in Hong Kong. I saw that we've seen the lawlessness in Hong Kong that really bothered me, tearing up my little town of Taipo, you know, tearing up the streets and taking away barriers and destroying buildings. I didn't like it here and I don't like it there. So uh, we've got to deal with the issue of the lawlessness and that goes even deeper to the issue of morality. What's the moral foundation that we're going to have as a nation? Uh, what's it going to be? Okay, uh, an email from Alan who says, uh, every single charge of fraud Trump's team has made has been dismissed by the courts. I think I'm right in saying that he doesn't actually allege fraud. The, 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 when they come to the court, they don't talk about fraud. Is that correct? They're focusing, I th they it talk depends about on fraud, the state. But, Irregularity. But depends then, on the state. But then yeah. there's no actual claim of fraud, but they don't actually say Again, anyone... they haven't gotten far enough into the process to actually start presenting mm -hmm. their evidence. Okay. All right, uh, he has no hope of prevailing in court. It's purely a way to salve his ego. He will continue for the rest of his life to claim he was robbed. He will file to run for 2024 election so that he can do what he loves most, rant before his MAGA rallies while collecting their donations. Your Republican guest claiming they have not been able to present evidence is simply lying. The mountains of evidence he talks about were considered and thrown out of court. They present them in videos, even Fox News last at them. Absurd conspiracy theories with no evidence. The horrible thing is that 30% of Americans are deluded enough to believe this and they all have access to high-powered guns. That comes uh, <laughs> from uh, Alan. Thank you very much ind indeed for that and uh, thank you very much indeed to, to uh, our guests this morning. Uh, one more comment. This is from uh, Alan again. He says, the guest you have ranting about election fraud uh, joint statement from Elections Infrastructure Government Coordinating Council and the Election Infrastructure Sector Coordinating Executive Committees. Quote, there is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or is in any way compromised. Trump's response was to fire the guy responsible for protecting election security, for contradicting his fantasy conspiracies. That comes uh, for, again from uh, Alan. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Andrew Blasey, a director with Kroll and Mooring International, a uh, global government affairs, public policy and public relations firm. And Dan Van Hoy is a member of uh, Republicans Overseas Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed, Dan, for, for joining us once again. Uh, the weather, before we go, it's going to be mainly cloudy today. Sunny periods forecast during the day and temperatures up to about 26 degrees. That look will be mainly fine in the next couple of days. Slightly cooler in the morning and at night. It'll be coming cool uh, during the weekend. 23 degrees, the latest readings and the relative humidities. Now at 76%. The Chief Executive will deliver her policy address on November 25th. The public can watch the live broadcast of the speech and the press conference at policyaddress.gov.hk. The full policy address text highlights, leaflet, and related information will be uploaded to the website after the chief executive has finished her speech. To reduce social contact, the public are encouraged to access the information online. 9.32, the news with Samantha Butler. 
The government has added seven more dance clubs to its list of venues linked to a growing coronavirus outbreak, making it 21 in total. It's ordered people who visited any of those places to take a COVID-19 test. 50 of the 73 people confirmed with COVID-19 yesterday are linked to the cluster, which has grown to 132 patients. The World Health Organization says a new coronavirus vaccine developed in the UK is more evidence that the light at the end of the tunnel is growing brighter. Developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca, it's much cheaper to produce than two others recently announced and could have a bigger impact worldwide. And a key U.S. government body has written to Joe Biden saying his transition as president-elect can formally begin. President Trump tweeted his thanks to the General Services Administration chief and appeared to give the go-ahead to proceed with the transition. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for cats. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning once again. Welcome to Tuesday. I'm Phil Whelan. This is The Morning Brew. We're going to start in 35 minutes today with some drama, but the good kind. Yesterday, we met Nick Atkinson and Alan Olenicek, the producer, director and writer of The Proscenium Online, the new theatre company, a platform for telling original audio stories that highlight modern issues and often challenge opinions. Well, as we said yesterday, I'm going to broadcast their play for the next three days. Going to hear the first part, 10 past 10, Helt, Texas, set in the high Arctic. It was the first play to go into production by the proscenium. And it was recorded here in Hong Kong with a Hong Kong superstar cast. It follows the story of Sarah, an atmospheric scientist who lives in Long Yebian. Very, very north. She goes there on a research trip. She encounters Torbjorn, a charming Norwegian, and Arthur... A cheeky Arctic naturalist, two passionate blokes, strong opinions about climate and, of course, each other. I'm going to put this on Facebook Live, too. Top original theatre here on The Morning Brew. After 10.30, Jared Watt will bring you all the latest from Aussie, plus his choice of music. 11.10, Dr. Merrin Pierce has another of his nature focuses. Today he's with photographer Sasha Haldane, whose passion is spiders. Brilliant pictures, which you can see. And after 12, we're off to Melbourne, St Kilda, to talk with biz futurist Morris Misalowski about online crowdfunding, 